0: I welcome into to this new edition of the Hoist the Colors podcast. It is Wednesday, August 9th. Preseason camp for football is going on. I just hit publish on a new article, so check that out. I get it. Some people are going to be tuning in. They're like, why the hell are we talking ECU basketball with football on the horizon? Well, and Romaley and I have been going through these previews for the American Athletic Conference for the upcoming season and also for the, the roster and what to expect this uh, this winter for the Pirates. And we we got to finish what we started, Case, and, Uh I know that football was on the mind, but I still feel like there's a lot of hype surrounding this basketball team. And, you know, a lot of people have enjoyed these previews. So we got a few more guys to do today. We're going to focus a lot on Jaden Walker, what he means to the team. We're also going to take a look at Valentino Pinedo. We're going to take a look at Cam Hayes, what's, you know, if he's eligible, what will he bring to the table? Is he going to be eligible? We'll get into that discussion, and we'll also continue our AAC previews with UAB and South Florida. So, Casey, uh, you were at practice for football last week, and you're going to be at uh, the scrimmage this Saturday for us covering that. So, I know you're probably getting some football fever, but uh, we're still we're still talking hoops here. So, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, continuing your excitement for basketball, even though football is around the corner?
1: yeah we're in the dog days of training camp i love college football i love football i love nfl i love all football but no but now the fact that we're in the dog days of training camp means we are getting closer to basketball <laughs> season and slowly and slowly on twitter you start to see teams posting their non-conference schedules i've seen i've seen about eight or ten in the past two days so i think we're i think we're counting down the days until ours is published
0: yeah, so the ECU women's non-conference schedule is out, and I guess we're still waiting on maybe one or two uh, <clears throat> contracts to be signed for the men. We kind of we kind of know most of the games at this point. We're waiting on the dates. I think there's one game that hasn't been announced yet, so we're still waiting on that. When we do get that announcement, Casey, we will uh, we plan at least to have a podcast kind of looking at the non-conference schedule. And then once the AAC dates are announced, probably in September, we'll break that down as well. Um, And I I think, you know, we'll we'll kind of have a better understanding of what Charlotte brings to the table at that point too. We're You know, we've done every team in the American effort today, except Charlotte. And, you know, I don't know if you've done any research on them or not. We can talk about that, but basically with the late head coaching change, some moving parts there, you know, we can reevaluate Charlotte at that point. But for this series, for the player previews, for the opponent previews, today will be the final show for that. And then uh, we will have more basketball content in the coming weeks and months as well, leading into tip-off in November. Programming note, uh, the Hoist the Colors radio show, 94.3 The Game, returns uh, Monday. So next week we'll, we'll be back daily from 12 noon to 1 on Tuesday, we're scheduled to have assistant coach Riley Davis from the basketball team join us. So we'll talk ECU Hoops Tuesday as well, and we'll uh, have plenty to talk about that. But, Casey, let's get into that conversation of this, uh, th- this roster, and we'll continue with Jaden Walker, who I honestly think is one of the more valuable pieces on this entire team from the standpoint of, all right, Maybe you get in foul trouble with your point guard. Maybe you have an injury with your point guard. Bobby Pettiford right now is actually injured. He will be back for the start of the season, uh, but you do have the luxury of being able to slide in Jaden Walker at the point. He can play the two, he can play the three, he can play the four. We saw last year how valuable he was. And, you know, I don't know exactly what Jaden Walker's role is going to be this year, but I do know that he is a, a vital piece of this roster, regardless of how it plays out. Yeah, I think
1: every team in college basketball needs a Jaden Walker type player. And just watching him last year just showed that he's the definition of a team player. When the team needed him at whichever spot he was needed, he stepped up to the plate and performed and almost outperformed at some points. And I think a major key with him is when he was playing point guard, he was distributing the ball great. He could score when he wanted to. Yes, I would like to see him be more aggressive, But also another thing about him when he wasn't playing point guard, when Javon was playing, or when RJ was handling the ball, Jaden moves without the ball great. And that is huge for college basketball because of how ball dominant some players are. The ability for the other players on the floor to move without the ball, move freely, be in the right spot. And Jaden is perfect for that. And for this team, with Bobby's injury this summer, I bet you Jaden has stepped up and, played great in practice and improved and helped this team play with that point guard role that Bobby's going to be.
0: Yeah, we know that, you know, Caleb accounts on the roster. He can run the point as well. Obviously a more traditional point guard. He's, you know, only five seven or so. But, you know, if he's going to play, he's going to play point guard. So Jaden and I, I assume Caleb probably played that role. Cam Hayes may have gotten some time there. We'll get into that discussion here a little bit. But Jaden Walker, the last – 10 games of last season, 6'5", 200 pounds, so he's a big point guard. But he started the last 10 games. He recorded th- uh, three double-doubles. He played 40 minutes in three of those contests. He scored a career-high 24 points at Tulsa in a 40-minute uh, showing. He dished out 10 assists along with 18 points at SMU. That was a loss, but he played well that day, and that was kind of the, the point you really circled. Hey, this team is pretty – I don't want to say special, but definitely, you know, they tried the Caleb account thing earlier after Javon Small's injury, and there was just too much inconsistency. But once they went to Jaden Walker, I'm trying to look at it here. Yeah, really like early January, but definitely he started to play that point role early February. That SMU game was the first time he started. He played 39 minutes. And it just felt like the team, especially they came home, obviously after the the tough situation with Jeff Charles, won the Cincinnati game with him at the point. Um, you know, won the SMU game at home, lost at SMU, but then beat Tulsa. So you had a, a winning streak of three or four there. You had a pretty good performance against Houston. It just felt like with Walker at the point, this team was so much better uh, than than what it was. You know, right after Javon Small's injury. Yes, because the team played relaxed and.
1: They played more flexible, and that just goes to show what Jaden Walker did because he told this team, I'm going to take over his point guard, and that's what he did. And I remember me and you talking after the uh two-lane game. He almost had a triple-double. He had 18 points, 11 assists, and he had five or six rebounds. And I was like, whew, Steve, he was a couple rebounds from a, from a triple-double. And it just goes to show his versatility for this team. And just like I remember you asked Schwartz in the, in the spring around – around baseball season you asked him spring early summer you asked him what is Jaden's role going to be coming into this coming into this year and he said well we're going to look at that we're going to see how he looks at wing or if we need him play point guard again he might play point guard again so I'm very curious to see what he plays this year with Bobby with Bobby coming and I also think that on the topic is if Cam does get eligible I don't think we're going to see Jaden at point guard this year
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing for me is – so we know he can play the point, and I would make the argument at this point he's more effective as a player at point guard than he is on the wing. Because you look at his shooting numbers, he's not really a shooter. And if he's playing off the ball, he's he's probably going to be more of a defensive specialist. He's not going to be a guy who is – I don't know. I mean, I guess you can have multiple point guards, but usually you want one guy who's really running things at the top of the key, running off the pick and roll. But his scoring numbers off the ball were, were, I would say, inconsistent, and then his scoring took off when he became a point guard. So I think ideally you want Pettiford running the point. So, you know, what do you do with Jaden Walker if he's not running the point in that lineup? You know, is, is he just a straight-up backup point guard? Can he score more on the wing than he showed last year now that he maybe has some confidence driving the ball, shooting the ball? I mean, he didn't shoot a bad percentage. 32.4% isn't terrible from three-point range. Uh, You know, it's just it it was kind of hit or miss. Free throw shooting was an issue, just 58.3%. That's got to improve for a guard. Uh, Again, rebounding was solid. 4.6 rebounds, 7.6 points per game was was his final numbers. He also had 101 assists to 73 turnovers, so – you know, if he's not playing on the ball, my question to you, Casey, is what is his best role? Is he a starting caliber wing, or is he more of a a bench piece? Personally, me, I think that this may be a bold prediction, but I think if you really look
1: into it, it could happen. I could see him being sixth man of the year in the uh, in, in the ACC. I think that if you, because as we talked during this whole series, that three start that starting three spot is the biggest question mark on this team. You don't know necessarily what you're going to get from Quentin. You don't know what face on is right right now. You'll know by October you'll know by in November what he is, I think. But I think that you start Quentin or face on at three and then you have Jaden coming off the bench at around maybe the under 16 or under 12 timeout. And he's a he's a player that can come in and not miss a beat and provide that spark and he could come in if Bobby needs a breather or if Arjun needs a breather or on needs a breather and there won't be any drop off. And I think I, th- he is a starter, but I think for this team, his veteran presence coming off the bench, I think is his best role in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I think if Pettiford's healthy, I think he's, it makes sense to bring him off the bench because he can then take over that point guard. I mean, to me, Assuming Hayes is not eligible, I see Jaden as your best backup point guard. Um, and you can make an argument, he is proven more as a starting point guard in NCAA basketball at this point than Bobby Pettiford. Now, I think they're very different players. You know, Bobby is, is extremely quick with the ball. Jaden is more deliberate, brings you more versatility. But I thought he may, he started to really pick up kind of what they were trying to do offensively in terms of distribution late in the year. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I, I, it's a good problem to have, you know, when you have too many guys for your starting five. I mean, there have been, <laughs> there have been so many years, Casey, where it's like, man, like who the hell is going to be in the starting five because you don't have enough guys at East Carolina. But now that you have a guy like Jaden Walker who can feel one through three realistically has played the four in the past, I just think it's so crucial uh, for this team and, you know, allows you to overcome an injury or two or a guy missing a game or two here or there. So I think Jaden Walker is vital to this team. Um, All right, so we we always predict kind of what the stat line is for for the player previews we're doing. And I I think Jaden Walker's possible stat line has as wide a range as anybody on this team outside of maybe some of the freshmen we just don't know much about because, hey, is he going to be – a is he going to get a ton of minutes of point guard or is he going to be more of a defensive off the ball wing i don't know so it, a lot of that depends on what pettifer does a lot of that could depend on what cam hayes's eligibility is like but let's try and predict again last year he was 7.6 points per game that number shot up substantially towards the end of the year when he started to play point guard he had 101 assists in uh what 30 games or so. So he had about three assists per game. And he also had 4.6 rebounds per game. So I'll let you go first, Case. And what do you try and project for Jaden Walker?
1: Whew, this is a tough one because you don't yes. really know what he is going to play. But I'm going to say his stat line in my role, like I said, coming off the bench as the sixth man, I'm going to put him at around five points a game, two and a half assists. And four rebounds. But I will say this. Most of Jaden Walker's play this year, plays this year are not going to show up on the box score.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I mean, that was about in line with what I'm thinking. Five, six points a game, three assists per game, maybe a, a touch below. And also, yeah, three to four rebounds per game. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe his numbers take a small step back from last year. But... I think he'll be just as valuable, if not more valuable, like you said, making a ton of those impact plays elsewhere. So Jaden Walker, either way you slice it, I think he's a vital piece of this team. All right, another guy is our uh, our last for sure active scholarship player for this season, Valentino Pinedo out of Madrid, Spain, second year in the program, listed at 6'8", 228. He's uh, put on some muscle this offseason. He is uh, really worked hard on his shooting from what I've been told. Last season appeared in 21 games for East Carolina, really as a, you know, kind of a interjects, hey go play 3 to 5 minutes per game, you know, mix it up in there, maybe get some fouls. He he didn't really shoot the ball a whole lot. Only shot nine attempts from the field. He did make five. Played 96 minutes in 21 games total. He did go 10 of 13 from the line, had nine total rebounds. He committed 17 fouls, two assists, six turnovers, one block, one steal. He averaged one point per game, scored 20 total points. So, Valentino Pinedo, kind of a more traditional Ford-type player last year. Really didn't show much of a shooting touch. Um. At least at ECU, we didn't really see him attempt it, and so I, I just I'm curious. And I've heard his work ethic is great. I've heard he's done well in practice, but he he's kind of stuck behind Ezra Asar and Brandon Johnson right now, case in At least on paper. So, what what do you make of Valentino Pinedo's projection as a sophomore? Like, what is fair to expect from Valentino? I'm curious to
1: see what it is, honestly, because last year, I mean, I don't think he played great last year. He didn't play great last year. And I think that with another summer under his belt is going to help him immensely. But also you are playing behind Ezra and Brandon, which is going to be very, very hard to get minutes. But I do. I could see him getting similar minutes again this year, like a similar role, just like you said, kind of inject him for three to five minutes if Ezra brand again fouled over real quick or just need a breather. But as we both have talked about that, I don't think he has the size and the presence to play down low, to be banging down low. So I do think that if he does develop a nice jump shot or can shoot from the elbow or three top of the key, little pick and pop Jaden or Bobby, it'll be huge for
0: his game. And then he will get more minutes, honestly. Yeah, it just felt like last year when he got in, his uh, his head was spinning. Like, he was just running around, you know, setting picks. And, you know, I, I, you know he only played 96 minutes. And so, like, I'm not going to sit here and make a giant conclusion because I know that in practice he showed more in games. And I've heard he has shot the ball well from the perimeter, from the outside, kind of added a jumper. He showed that from uh, his international film. We didn't really see him shoot, but, you know, shooting 77% from the line shows he's got a pretty good shooting touch. Again, not a ton of rebounding in his brief time. Um, So, you know, he's going to have to work on that, but just didn't really see a whole lot. So it's hard to make a prediction really similar to some of the freshman bigs. Like, you know, we know Ezra's going to play. We know Brandon Johnson's going to play, but then outside of that, what, what other big is going to emerge? And, you know, I guess we count Val as a big, even though he's kind of really a more of a a, a four, an undersized four. Really, you could argue. Um, but you know, is he going to get minutes over like a Sierra Malonga? Do they do they ever want to go Val, Brandon Johnson, and Ezra on the floor at the same time? Or if Val's on the floor, does that mean Ezra's coming out or Brandon Johnson's coming out? Um, th- those are questions that we don't know. I mean, those are questions the coaching staff's got to decide. I would assume you're probably taking Ezra Brandon out and maybe it's just a foul trouble situation when Val gets in. But I do think the one thing, if he can add some, some legitimate shooting, I think that makes him a lot more valuable. And I, I do know he can pass the ball well too. So I think there's a role for him. It's just, I really don't know what it is. And, and you know, really with, with Callum Richard and Sierra Balonga case, and at this point, like these three guys, I, I feel like there's a good chance one of them emerges as kind of a, you know, maybe more than we've given them credit for, but right now we just don't know.
1: Yeah, they're yeah, they're both they're all three question marks. And I think that as of right now for this program, it's okay for them to be question marks because you have Ezra and Brandon, which I think is also huge. And also on the flip side, those three are banging and clanging with Ezra and BJ every day, and they're just gonna get better doing that. So I think right now, just like I stated a couple of seconds ago, it's okay for them to be question marks right now. But I definitely think that their development this year will be huge for the team next year, this time.
0: Yeah, we always talk about Coach Schwartz's ability to develop players. And I think Valentino would fall into that category of a guy who, you know, wh- when they took him, when they signed him, some people are like, well, we should have just added a transfer. They said this offseason, maybe we should have just added a transfer and moved on. Well, you know, the coaches get paid the money to develop these players. They want to develop them, they want to develop a guy like Val. So, I am uh, – I'm curious to see where he's going to go this year. And I think, you know, realistically, if, if I had to project it, which we are projecting their numbers, I would I would say, you know, similar to last year, one to two points per game, one rebound per game, maybe an assist per game. Um, Casey, I don't know if you feel any different at this point. I feel the
1: same as you. Just curious to see where his minutes are first. Then maybe we can decide.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see with uh, with Val as the preseason goes along. Um, but in another scholarship player, and here's the thing, with with 12 guys we know are going to be eligible, no college basketball team really has a rotation of 12 guys, so not everybody is going to play. But uh, I, I do expect one of these maybe, you know, whether it's Baela, whether it's Val, whether it's one of the freshmen big, whether it's Takori Faison, one of these guys is going to emerge and kind of do more than we think and that'll be worth monitoring this preseason. All right, let's move on to Cam Hayes, who, you know, the the report came out yesterday that a North Carolina receiver transfer was denied uh, as a second-time undergrad transfer immediate eligibility. Uh, He actually was committed to East Carolina out of high school, and he ended up going to North Carolina Central. They canceled their 2020 season. He then transferred, what, to Kent State? Yeah, it was and, Kent State. Yeah, so Devontae Walker is who we're talking about at West Charlotte High School. Went to Kent State, played there. Now he's transferring again as an undergrad in North Carolina. They expected him to be eligible as a two-time undergrad transfer. The NCAA has said they're cracking down on this, and they have ruled initially at least. He is ineligible. I believe Florida State also had a defensive lineman who was ruled ineligible as a second-time undergrad transfer. Both of these situations are being appealed. I don't know what good that will really do, but I don't think this is a good sign for Cam Hayes, who is a two-time undergrad transfer. He is coming back to his home state, much like the kid from Florida State, much like Devontae Walker. So unless there's a special circumstance here I'm unaware of – you know, I just don't see a scenario right now where Cam Hayes is eligible this season. I, I hope I'm wrong because I think he is a very valuable piece to ECU. But your thoughts early on, I think ECU is in the process or has already submitted a waiver. We probably won't know for sure till September at the earliest. But um, I just I, at this point, I'm not expecting reading the tea leaves him to be eligible. Yeah, I mean, the writing was on the
1: wall when he uh, – as, as, soon as, he, as soon as he entered the portal, when I heard he entered the portal, there is not a good chance of him playing this upcoming year. And I mean, it, I mean, it sucks. I mean, if Cam was on this team, we'd be having some different conversations because Cam is a phenomenal player. He was a great player at NC State. He was a great player at LSU. And I
0: think that, man, if he was on this team, we'd have some fun. The good news is he does have a redshirt year available, so he can red shirt this year and still have two years of eligibility remaining, which he does have. The bad news is you're losing a guy who has basically averaged eight points per game at NC State and LSU throughout his career. You know, significant experience, uh, good defender on the perimeter, can shoot it, he's going well, can do a little bit of everything. So, you know, you've watched more Cam Hayes than I have. You know, you grew up watching some NC State hoops, so – Give us the scatter report on Cam Hayes. If he is eligible this year, what does he bring to the table? If he's not, what will he bring to the table in the future?
1: Cam Hayes is a really, really good combo guard. He's a power five starter combo guard. Um, I've, I've watched him since he was at Greensboro Day. And since he was at NC State and his freshman year at NC State, he made some big-time plays and big-time moments. And then his sophomore year at NC State, two years ago they really really went through a tough patch and that also wasn't a very good team i mean that i mean the emergence of darion sebron really hurt cam hayes because and then also terquavion smith coming in and by around 13 games into non-conference cam hayes was benched from the starting point guard role that he did so well in last year and that really hurt his confidence at nc state and didn't really sit well with a lot of people in NC State. So he decided to transfer. And then he went to LSU last year. And LSU, you could argue, was one of the worst teams in Power 5 last year. I mean, Cam Hayes did put up some solid numbers, but they were just not a very good team. And I don't know why that was, because they had some good talent on the team. I guess it was just because just not good personalities meshing. But Cam can score the ball at a high level. He's a good point guard. But I think he's more comfortable at shooting guard. He is an above-average defender, and he has a very good basketball IQ. And just like I said, he's made big-time plays in big-time moments. He's been in big games his college career.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at his, his freshman year, man. He was uh, near the top of the league in assist-to-turnover ratio, and so we know he can run the point. You feel like he's better off the ball on the ball. Where do you think he's at his best? I
1: think he's. I think he's better off the ball. Me, me personally, seeing him the past three years. I mean, it, I mean, you can make, I mean, it's kind of contradicting because you look at his freshman year when he was the primary important guard, he had better numbers. But then when you look at his sophomore year when he was playing with Darion and Tercravion Smith, two ball dominant guards where Cam didn't have the ball in his hands, he's playing off the ball. But also if you look at that team, um, Darion is in, Darion Seabron is in the NBA, Tercravion Smith in the NBA, two NBA players. And then this past year at, uh LSU and he was the games he was not playing point guard he played very well and I think it was Justice Hill or something like that playing point guard when he was playing point guard cam at shooting guard he was very solid and because cam's a I can calmly say cam's the best three point shooter on this ECU team right right now
0: well the Pirates need some three point shooting so that's the shame if he's uh if he's ineligible yeah. and if he is eligible I expect it you know, if he if he somehow gets eligible, I would expect the starting lineup to be Pettiford, Felton, Hayes. Even if that's smaller, you know, Hayes is only 6'1", 195, but I feel like that's your best your best talent as far as talented lineup. So we'll see. I mean, I'm not expecting him to be eligible. If he if he is ruled eligible, you know, we'll have a separate podcast just talking about how big that is because I, I think you get Cam Hayes eligible, and this team starts to look really, really good on paper. I still think they can be good regardless, but you know, you get another proven score. I think things look really, really good. Um, so we'll see. You know, if he ends up having to sit out the year, maybe it's a blessing in disguise, allows him to redshirt, push you know guys like Pettiford, LeCount, Walker every day in practice. So we'll see. All right, let's do our uh, let's transition now as we've looked now at the the bulk of the roster, all the scholarship guys. Let's transition to our AAC previews, today we're looking at USF, we are looking at UAB, and these, this will round out our AAC opponent previews. Finally, Brian Gregory is out at South Florida. Uh, Kason and I have been waiting for, for a long time now, even before we met each other. Uh, we, we were waiting for Brian Gregory to be fired. His last game came against East Carolina in the conference tournament. Pirates took it to them, he was fired a day later. And they since hired the Kennesaw State head coach. Kaysen always does a tremendous job with these previews. So Kaysen, I like you started off. What do you expect from the South Florida team entering a new year in the American? As sadly as it is,
1: even though happily they're without Brian Gregory, they will, in my prediction, finish near the bottom of the league. They did hire Kennesaw State head coach, uh, Amir Abdurrahim. I mean, if you look at his tenure at Kennesaw State, it is not good at all. In 2019 to 2020, he was 1 and 28, did not win a conference game. The following year, he was five and 19. The following year, he was 13 and 18, and then last year, the spike to 26 and 9 in the NCAA tournament appearance. And who did they play in the first round? Because I'm pretty sure they played them tough. Was it Miami or something? I I can't think of the top of my head. I looked at yeah. it. They were a
0: popular back. upset pick. Yes.
1: I remember Humbled that. Go. Yeah, I remember that very clear because I remember they were a popular upset. Uh Xavier. Xavier, yes. Did they did did they play him tough? 72 67. Yep. Tough game. Okay. So um I mean, coming, I mean, coming into this league. With him as the head coach, I'm not too excited about it. I definitely think, like I said, there were bigger fish in the pond. I mean, I understand what can you do for me right now, type success, but I mean, his overall record at Kennesaw State was 45 and 74, and you're coming in to an American Conference, which I don't think is great. And at Kennesaw State, they were they were they were good last year, but I mean, Jim. I mean, I don't really have much else to say about him. Because, I mean, I'm just
0: so I was so bamboozled when they hired him. So holy cow! You know, the the one thing I will say is he at least did improve each year. Like, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, how hard it is? For 28? I mean, one in twenty-eight. There's not. There's not too many coaches in the world that can survive a one in twenty-eight season. But I mean, doesn't that at least somewhat speak to the ability to build a program? One and 28, five and 19, 13 and 18, 26 and 9. You know, I, I, I feel like at least he did show that if you give him time, he can build a winning product. But my, my thing is with the transfer portal stuff now, nobody has any patience. Uh, is he going to get the patience required to build at USF? Because I know that they brought in some transfers from Kennesaw. I'm sure they'll be pretty good, but let's be real. Jumping from the A-Sun to the American is quite a leap, and you can't just rely on a bunch of solid Kennesaw players to, to carry you at South Florida. So I don't know. I just feel like is he going to be able to replicate what he did at Kennesaw at USF is my biggest question. And also
1: just like you said, that no one has patience no more. The upper people don't have patience, and rightfully so. They don't need to have patience because of what you can do in the portal now. Personally, I think if you're a first year head coach, you should be winning in two years because you can go out and buy a brand new team in April. It's just how it is in college basketball now. And One in twenty eight. Yeah, ridiculous. Um so uh with Gregory gone and the team changing over. Well, there's turnover every year, but when a new coach leaves, they did they did lose thirty-one year old Tyler Harris, Stephen Igo's favorite player in the world. Dude.
0: So glad he's finally gone. He just lit up East Carolina again and again. I'm so tired of that guy. He'll probably still find another year of eligibility. Yeah, and then uh, Russell Tuchu, I don't know
1: how another – has another year of eligibility eligibility either. He's at Georgia now, which I think would be good for him. I I always liked him. I always liked him as a a player, seeing his improvement. And then then the rest of their team transferred out and graduated. They did return uh, Selton Miguel, 10 points a game, Sam Hines seven points a game in Corey Walker Jr. But then coming in, the major bulk of the production of this team, Raheem did bring three of his best players from Kennesaw State, including NCAA tournament phenom Chris Youngblood, who averaged 15 points a game. And, I mean, they got a, a couple of JUCO guys that scored at a high level. But also, then again, you're just unsure what the – Translation will be from league to league because leagues are very different. So like you said, Sunday American is different, but then again, this time of the year, there's always open for optimism. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, basically adding three double digit scores from Kennesaw, adding a guy from North Florida who scored 14 a game. Um, is that the same league, North Florida and Kennesaw? Maybe so. I don't know. But either way, so. Usually if you can score the ball, it translates for the most part, but it's still a, a big leap. The Juco guys, you know, this is, this this roster is at least interesting to me. Like, I wouldn't write them off as a definite last place team, but they're going to be picked near the bottom just given the, the, the newcomers. And, you know, they lost a lot of guys in the portal. Um, Tachua was a big one. Jameer Chaplin was always a solid player. You know, so I don't know. Jake Boggs still in the portal, it looks like. So (laughs) didn't he start at UNCW? Do what? Jake Boggs is he? Was he a UNCW guy? Yeah, he
1: started there. Yeah, he yeah he was there. He's a Carmel Christian kid from there, and then he went to Wilmington. Didn't pan out there. Then I don't know where he is now. He's in the portal though, but I don't know where he is now.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. This team, I feel like. Yeah, um, I feel like it's just going to be picked towards the bottom. I think they're similar to Charlotte, similar to, a, you know, UTSA, a couple of these other teams were previewed, just a lot of question marks. But the head coach is interesting, man. It's like he had one good year. Is it a flash in the pan or, you know, is it really something there? Uh, South Florida, they were rumored to hire somebody pretty big, weren't they? And then that fell apart. It was
1: going to be Mike Bray, the rumor. That's right.
0: So then that fell apart, and then they ended up going for this guy. Um, Because, yeah, the report was they were going to get Mike Bray. All right. So we'll see what happens. Interesting team. By the way, Chance Scott says he sat beside you at the UVA regional. Hell of a guy. Casey Normale. I can't confirm. Hell of a dude. Appreciate it, Chance. Freshly shaven, casing, by the way. Yeah, I got just just like
1: I told Steven, Steven, we're, we're walking in practice. He turns around. I was like, I didn't even notice that was you. And I was like, yeah, I got traded to the Yankees at, at the <laughs> line, So I had, to, I had to cut everything off, man.
0: Looking fresh, man. Looking fresh. Getting ready for that new school year. The ladies are going to be all over you, man. I us hope not. <laughs> all right, let's move on to our next one. UAB and ECU fans know the Blazers well. They shared a, a conference with them with the Conference USA, UAB. If there's one thing they're always good at, it's it's basketball. Really, tr- really, really proud program. They really support the program. Really nice arena, Barto Arena, in Birmingham. One of the low key strong ads of this offseason season uh, for the American was UAB basketball. How are they looking under head coach Andy Kennedy after another really good year last season? I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be good. I mean,
1: if you look at what he's done with that team, just like you said, they have good, they have good tradition. And Andy Kennedy is a really good head coach. I'm honestly surprised he's still there. I think a reason he's still there is because just like you said, they have good basketball tradition. He was the longtime head coach at Ole Miss before this. I think he was there for 10 or 11 years, a while. And at Ole Miss, he was 245 and 156, which is pretty good. And then, last year they were 20 they were 29 and 10 and the year before that 27 and 8 and I think that anytime you get above 25 wins in college basketball regardless of conference that's a great that's a great great accomplishment and but I will say this they did lose Jordan Walker who I felt like Jordan Walker was there for holy cow years I feel like he was there forever and he was and he was honestly a 30 point a night scorer for them and they're without him, which going to curious to see how they work without him. But I definitely think Kennedy can do it without him.
0: Yeah, I was looking at Jordan Walker. He got the extra year of eligibility due to COVID. Averaged, like you said, twenty two point three points per game. And you look at this team. They lost Jordan Walker twenty two point three points per game. Then they lost one, two, three, four, five other guys to graduation who averaged 10, 9, 7, 6, 5, and uh, yeah, th- that, that's the result. Um, 10, 9, 7, 6, 5 points per game, 22 points per game. That is, uh, let's see if I can do quick math here, 32, 41, 48. 50. They, almost, they lost basically 50 points per game in graduation, not to the portal, but to graduation. So they do return. Eric Gaines, who averaged 11.5 last year, but he's the only returner. Um, (laughs) I'm laughing at one of the notes you wrote here about one of the guys coming in. But uh, he's the only returner who averaged double figures. They do have some big transfers coming in on paper, but this is a – I don't know. Like, this is the team that had a huge year, but they're losing a ton. I'm sure they've got the culture set. I'm sure some of these guys who are coming back, like Javion Davis, Ephraim Johnson, Tony Tony, great name, are going to take a step forward. But you know that's a lot of production to replace.
1: Yeah, and just like you said, just looking at the uh, loss, I mean, this was basically a this is basically a G League team last year because of how because of how old they were, and that's also why they were so good, and that's why they were good the past three years because they were all together those years basically. And I think this will be a big stepping point for this program, new conference, basically a new team, newer teams than they've had in the last couple of years. But, I mean, then then again, they did return Eric Gaines and Davis, who are good players. And coming in, they have Barry Dunning from Arkansas, played 16 games, James White, Art Ole Miss, four points a game, and then uh, Will Shaver who played two games, and, like, I felt like he was at Carolina for four years. only played two games. And then um, uh, there's some controversy with him because he's from Birmingham, and then when he left Carolina, he, like, had, like, a bad ex. He, like, said some things about the program and, like, many people. And it's it's a sticky situation, but if you want to look it up, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I'm curious where the production is going to come from, but then again, Kennedy's a great head coach, so he should be able to turn it around. Will is it Shaver? Shaver, do we know? One or the other. Let's see. He Will said something sh- about UNC when like leaving or something. I
0: forgot about it. Will Shaver. I just listened to the pronunciation on the UNC website. 6'10 260. So he's a horse, but he just never really played. Because he for was UNC. All, he was he was always hurt. Always okay. hurt. So we'll see. I'm sure he was a big recruit out of high school if he ended <laughs> up at UNC. He was, yes. So, you, you know, you got some talent here, some unproven talent, it looks like. And like you said, Andy Kennedy is such a good coach. They'll be good. It's just a matter of how good. Like, they're going to be picked probably towards the middle, upper tier of the league, you know, maybe five six seven range. And it just feels like there's a lot of teams in that range. I think ECU is in that range. Like, if, if I had to – we've now done all these previews. And I feel like ECU is I – th- I think ECU can conceivably be, and I'm not trying to be a homer here, I feel like ECU can conceivably be the third or fourth best team in this league. Like, I think FAU and Memphis are the clear two. I think Memphis, given all the additions, definitely up there. FAU with what they have coming back. Tulane probably going to be picked in the top three, given what they have coming back. Um but then after that, I feel like it's pretty open, and I feel like ECU is right in that next next range of schools.
1: I would definitely say that in terms of tiers, it's, in my opinion, it's FAU Memphis, a little bit of a drop-off, and then you have Tulane, then a little bit more of a drop-off, a tad bit. And then you, and then you got, in my opinion, you got Rice, you got North Texas, you got ECU, you got UAB. I think the bulk middle, the median of those around six or seven teams in the middle, they're all neck and neck. They're like right at the fill line. I'm very, very curious to see where that pans out. And I could see a whole lot of 500 records in conference because of that. And I think that because of those records, some teams will be better than those records and some teams will be worse than their conference record just because of how. Just because of how compact the middle of the conference is, instead of it being... it's This conference isn't so much top-heavy as it has been
0: in the past, and I'm looking forward to that. You also have the imbalanced schedule with so many teams in the league. You know, ECU is only going to play Memphis and FAU once, which could hurt their net, but help their conference schedule, uh, schedule records, so lot of different factors and again once we get the non-conference once we get the conference schedule we'll run over that did you look at charlotte at all i, I don't know if you had time uh, to look at their situation before we wrap up here today uh i've looked at them and i know
1: some people that are over there in charlotte i know i know one person that's connected with the staff and dave said that they're just trying to like piece some things together right piece some things together right now i mean what happened was really, really crazy. How he left to go to Virginia, and I mean, it really threw a wrench in everything. And but that, but that program has been interesting the past year because I mean, they weren't that good last year. They go on to win the CBI, and then you're like, oh wow, like they're on this like high right now. Then they're on the CBI, the football team's on the rise. we are going to the American, and then coach just says, peace out. So, I mean, they're trying to figure some things out right now, but nothing is set in stone right now. They're definitely behind the eight ball, especially right now, considering it's August 9th. So, I would, I mean, I would say beginning of September, they'll have a set, everything set, but we'll see.
0: All right, Kason. Well, this was fun. We made it through another preview. We previewed the entire roster, we previewed the American. We'll take a closer look at Charlotte when we get the conference schedule. No more then, but, um, It's been real, man. I've enjoyed this series. I think our our fans have as well. And once we get the non-conference schedule, we'll we'll be back with a full breakdown of what to expect there. We know Florida. We know South Carolina. UNCW is on the schedule. So uh, it looks like it'll be a solid schedule. There are going to be some cupcake games, too, it looks like. So we'll, we'll see how it all looks when it lines up. I'm looking forward to it. Let's do it. He's Casey Romaley. I'm Stephen Igo. This has been our ECU Basketball Preview Podcast this offseason. We'll be back with you sometime in the near future with another podcast. Again, the Hoist the Colors radio show returns as well to 94.3 of the game next Monday. We'll continue to have podcasts as well uh, in the evening or afternoons too in conjunction with the radio show. So thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. This has been Hoist the Colors.